Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this morning to worship the Lord with us. Good morning, church. It's been a while since I've been up here, but I just wanted to share a testimony of what God did yesterday. A few of us women, about 20 of us, were part of the Women of Destiny conference, and I think we can testify of how good God was and how powerful He worked in our midst. And actually, the Women of Destiny Conference is organized by First AG Church. But more than that, it was a congregation of women from all over Bangalore, from about 20 different churches, gathering together to worship, to receive from God, and to just get impartation from the Lord. Yesterday, I went forward to be prayed for by one of the main speakers. And um, what I believe, the prayer that she prayed is what I believe was a prophetic word for us. And that even as I went forward and I asked her to pray for us as a church, the theme incidentally was restore for the conference. I just said, you know, the word and direction and, you know, just pray for our church. And what she spoke is what I believe was a prophetic word for us. And that she said, you have a divine mandate to accomplish And yes, you have been contending for authority. You have been wrestling for authority. You have been wrestling for more of God, more of power, more of His presence for God. And and you will receive that authority. Amen? And, you know, I was crying by that time. You know, yes, we've been struggling. Yes, we've been hungering for more, to see more of God's power. And then she went on and said, once you receive the authority, you will see things happen. And even for mental disorders, people will be delivered. And your house will be like a house of, of healing and deliverance. And she said so many other things. And she said, but when you receive this authority, you'll go back on your face before God to continue to pray, to take on more authority because God has given you a multifaceted divine mandate to do. But it will come with a price. I'm like, yes, Lord, I knew that would come. Um, but it will, this authority will come with a price, and the price is intercession. It will not come easy, but you will know how to pray. You will know how to go before God to intercede, to see that happen in your church. And so I'm just conveying that word for us as a church, and I believe there is a word for us, that if we really want to see God move in our midst, we really have to go before God and contend and say, God, yes, we take that authority, and Lord, we want this, but we have to realize it comes with a price, and that is intercession. And I just encourage all of us, as much as I am encouraged myself, to really go before God and start praying. Lord, we don't want to just pray for ourselves, our church, our things, but Lord, we want to see your kingdom come, that through us, through our church, Lord, the city will be changed. Amen? And so that's what I wanted to convey to us today. And I also wanted to say, even within Bangalore, there is a meeting of women from all over Bangalore, different churches. They meet once a month, every first Monday, between 4 and 6 in different churches, just to pray for the city. It's not like because one church is organizing it. It's, it's not like that. It's like a group of churches meeting together, women from different churches meeting together. And the next uh, prayer meeting is in FGAG at first, first Monday of March between 4 and 6. So women, if you have the time, I mean, if you have something so strong in your heart that you want to pray for the city and you want more, come for this prayer meeting. Thank you. Well, that was good. Let's give Amy another hand. All right, we're going to go right into the, the word this morning. You know, we are uh, seeing progress, development all over the world, in all kinds of things. In every sphere of life, things are changing. We're moving forward. Nothing is remaining stagnant, static. Is that right? And so also, the church, the body of Christ, is moving. The body of Christ is not a static, stagnant entity. Amen? Things are changing. The Bible tells us that we are being changed from glory to glory. So as God is taking His church from one level of glory to another, we are being changed. So you come back next Sunday, the church doesn't look the same. It doesn't smell the same, doesn't feel the same. And you wonder what's happening. We are changing from glory to glory. Amen? 
And anytime somebody says our church has not changed in the last hundred years, it's because maybe they are fossilized. Because the church, the body of Christ, and I use the word church, I'm talking about the body of Christ around the world. That church in a continuous state of change. We are moving from glory to glory. And uh, this morning, I just want to talk about the maturing church. I want to bring our attention to where the church, the body of Christ around the world is today, and where the church, the body of Christ is going. Amen? So that you and I will understand where we are supposed to be, and where God is taking us as a people. So let's begin with a couple of scriptures and then we'll get into this morning's message. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read a passage from Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Paul is writing here, he says that in Ephesians 4 verse 11, that he, Jesus, himself gave some to be or appointed some people to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man or a mature man. Which is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, that we would all grow up in all things into Christ, or be like Christ, who is the head. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that's a big passage, a lot of things that we could study there. I want to focus in on verse 11 and 12, which tell us that Jesus himself has set five ministry functions or five offices in the the church. That of the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. He has set them in the church. The purpose is very clear, that these five offices serve the purpose of equipping the saints for ministry. Amen? Amen? So ministry is not really done, so to speak, by these five officers. These five officers are equippers. They impart, they train, they place all the skill, the training required into the hands of the saints. That means you, the believers. And ministry is to be done by the believers. Amen. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And consequently, the body of Christ will be edified, will be built up. Now how long will these five offices be in place? For the first hundred years? No. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Unto a mature man, a complete man, which is the fullness of Christ, the stature of Christ. So until such time, these five offices are to be functioning. Are you all with me? So if we ask the question, you know, are there evangelists today in the body of Christ? Your answer will be yes. Are there teachers in the body of Christ? Your answer will be, are there pastors in the body of Christ? Better be yes. (laughs) But now when we ask the question, are there prophets in the body of Christ? Yes. Are there apostles today in the body of Christ? Yes. There has to be. Why? Because these five offices have been set for this purpose, for the saints to be equipped. Do saints need to be equipped today? Well, then you need all five. Amen? Does the body of Christ need to be edified today? Yes. So you need all five. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Do we still need to come to a place where we have the unity of the faith and the same knowledge of the Son of God so that we can all come to a mature state? We are not there yet. So we still need all five. Amen? So there are prophets and there are apostles. I know that as a church we generally accept it, but just need to make it clear. We believe there are prophets in the body of Christ today. There are apostles in the body of Christ today. Now of course we know there are different categories of apostles. That present day apostles are not the same as the twelve apostles of the Lamb. That present day prophets are not the same as the founding prophets of the New Testament church. We understand that difference, but they carry the same office of an apostle or a prophet. 
Amen. Now, the other thing you and I understand is that every ministry reproduces after the, its own kind. Amen. So an evangelist reproduces his evangelistic ministry. Now you listen to an evangelist, you get inspired to, with passion for souls to go out and win souls. You keep listening to him, you get inspired to do that. You listen to a teacher, the teacher brings wisdom and understanding in our hearts, establishes us in the knowledge of the Lord and the ways of God, and soon you will be filled with that knowledge and you will start overflowing with that same thing. You will start sharing with other people, you know, this is what God says, this is what you're supposed to do in this situation, this is how you handle it. You are filled with that wisdom and understanding and you begin to flow in the same thing because every ministry reproduces after its own kinds. You become an evangelist, you become a teacher. Are you listening? And as a pastor, the pastor reproduces the nurturing, caring aspect of Christ because every, each one of these five offices are just different expressions of the fullness of Christ. So Christ the shepherd expressed through the pastor. That pastoral ministry is then reproduced in the church. People begin to nurture one another, care for one another, you know, they pray for one another, strengthen one another. What are you doing? You're doing pastoral ministry. You're being, that same thing is coming in to you. Amen. So what do you think will happen for, with the prophetic and with the apostolic? The prophetic ministry reproduces after its own kind, which means God's people now begin to flow in the prophetic. God's people now become prophetic. To be prophetic, it just simply means that you know how to hear the voice of God. Because Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. So God's people begin to move in the prophetic. They begin to hear God in their circumstances, in their situations. And then the apostolic, as that ministry is released to the body, God's people now become apostolic. You say, what do you mean? Apostolic, one of the things that characterize the apostolic ministry is that of a pioneer. It's the arrowhead of the, of the arrow of the spear. It's the front line. It's the, that aspect of the ministry of Christ that says, I will invade, I will go out, I will do new things, pioneer new works, do things that I have not done before, go into areas we have not done before. And God's people begin to be apostolic in their mind and their thinking and what they're doing. They begin to say, you know, hey, in my school, there's no prayer going on, so I will start one. In my office, nothing's happening. Let me do something to extend the kingdom of Christ. What are you doing? You're being apostolic. You are pioneering. You're being the arrowhead to bring in the kingdom of God in your sphere. Amen. So what happens as these fivefold ministries are functioning in the body of Christ, they are very valid ministries, God's people begin to flow in those same dimensions in that ministry. Another passage that we need to look at is, uh, right now is Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching the very first sermon preached in the church. Verses 17 onwards. Acts 2 verse 16 rather. Peter has this to say. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Acts 2 16. Peter is explaining what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. And he says, this is what Joel prophesied. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. That I will pour out of my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And he continues talking about other signs of the last days. Now Peter was preaching this as the very first sermon. And he's saying, this is what God will do in the last days. So that was the beginning of the last days. And you and I are now at the end of the last days. Amen? And this is what God said I will do in the last days. He said, I will pour out my spirit on everyone. No age barrier. Your young men, your old men. No gender barrier. Your sons and your daughters. Meaning, this move of the spirit will be all encompassing. It will be... Covering young people, old people, all age groups, all gender groups. Just moving among God's people. What will happen? They will have visions. They will have dreams. They will prophesy. These are expressions of the prophetic ministry. So what I want, the point I want to bring to our attention is this. That in these days, the prophetic is to be so prevalent among the people of God. It's got to be our atmosphere in which we live and move and breathe. Because God said, in the last days, this is what I'm going to do. And it's going to be widespread everywhere, on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit. And these are the characteristics of my, the spirit of God moving among my people. Amen. So, having understood these two passages of scripture, I want to just now bring our attention to help us understand where is the church today. And where, what is happening in the church. Where is the church going? Now, one thing to 
interpret the present and to understand the future, you need to know the past. That's why we study history in school. Amen? Why do they teach us history? You know, like what happened 200 years ago? Who cares about what happened 200 years ago? Well, you need to know what happened to correctly interpret the present. If there are two groups fighting, it didn't happen because somebody threw a stone yesterday. Maybe they are fighting because of what happened 500 years ago. You need to understand history to correctly interpret the present. And you need to understand history to correctly guide yourself for the future. So we're going to go through a little history of the church right now. Amen. A very quick overview of what, where we have come from as a church, meaning the body of Christ. Uh, where has, you know, what has God taken the church through and, and what has the church been through? So we understand our history so we can correctly interpret the present and understand the direction for the future. The church began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. You and I understand that. And the first hundred years is the period of the early church, also known as the apostolic church. Uh, till about 180. And uh, in this time, there were the apostles, of course, in Jerusalem. The churches spread through various parts around Jerusalem and began to grow. One thing that you, you and I can say very definitively, that the early church was a church that was filled with the miraculous. It was a norm, as you see in the book of Acts. That signs, wonders, and miracles, a movement of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit in the early church was norm. It was accepted. And that's the way it was for the first hundred years. The next period from 800 to 8325 is the Antinician church or known as a post-apostolic period. During this time we have the record of the apostolic fathers or also known as the early church fathers. Several names are there. Uh, some men such as Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, others. Through their writings, we understand what God did in that period. And uh, one thing does stand out, that the supernatural was an integral part of the church, even during that period. The moving of God's Spirit, the liberty for God's people to minister to one another, was very much a part of the church. And keep in mind that until that time, the church met in homes. Amen? They met in homes. They just gathered with people around and they experienced God. And, and of course they had the larger temple gatherings now and then. But predominantly the work took place in the homes of people. That was the church. Until we come to about 8312, when we hear about Emperor Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire, he embraced Christianity in 8312 and it had its good and its bad. Because now when Emperor Constantine embraced Christianity... There were some things he brought in. He began to big build big buildings for believers or Christians to gather together. And then in order to ensure that things go uh, happen correctly in those gatherings, they introduced liturgy, order of service. So all that came after Emperor Constantine embraced Christianity. It started building these buildings for people to gather, uh, introduce the liturgy, and so on. And along with that came the ecclesiastical order of the church, where there was now people appointed by the government called the priests to conduct all these things that happen in these buildings. And so, while it seemed nice that an emperor embraced Christianity, it had a downsides in all of these things. And soon what you had was monasteries being built and monks coming on the scene who would then study the scriptures. Emperor Constantine was called for the first general assembly of the council of christian leaders in 8325 and hence that period prior to that called the antinician period but he called that and he presided he himself presided over it so the state interfering in the functioning of the church and directing what happens in the church institutionalized the whole church and out of that came the roman catholic church because the emperor, those who succeeded Constantine, declared Christianity to be the state religion. And so came the Roman Catholic Church. Unfortunately, all of this led to the decline of Christianity and uh, what we now know as the Dark Ages for, from 480 to 1480 was a period known as the Dark Ages. Nothing much happened. Things just grew worse. Only the priests were allowed to read the Bible. The people, the laity, had nothing to do with it. And unfortunately, the priests didn't read the Bible. 
and so introduced all kinds of rituals and forms and ways to do religion. The worst of them was the selling of licenses where if you or indulgences where if you wanted to commit sin, you pay some money, buy your indulgence, which was a license to sin, which would not be considered sin because you paid for it. This was all part of the Roman Catholic Church. All came in after that time. Went on for one thousand years. No illumination, no revelation of truth, no understanding. Because neither the laity read the Bible, nor did the priests. Went on for that period of time. But God had declared something through Peter in Acts the third chapter, verses 19 to 21. Peter prophesied something here. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Look at verse 21 carefully. Whom heaven must receive or heaven must retain for how long? Until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So Peter said, Jesus will remain in heaven until all things are restored. The church was in a very bad shape. It needed to be restored. So what we see looking at church history now, that from the end of the 1400s, God began a restorative work in the church. There was a man named John Huss, 100 years before Martin Luther. He was a professor at the University of Prague and he was a pastor of the Bethlehem Church and he preached justification by faith and the supreme authority of the scriptures. He said, listen, you are justified not by all these works and and paying money. You're justified by faith. And the final authority is the word of God. The first man to stand up and speak that truth. But unfortunately, he was called a heretic. And burnt alive on the stake in AD 14-15. But a hundred years later, we come into the 1500s. And what we see in this whole process of reformation and restoration of the church is that God used individuals. He used ordinary man to shake the church and cause it to move in the direction he wanted it to go. These were not angels born as men. They were ordinary people like you and me. Some of the great reformers might be sitting amongst us today. You could be one of them. Amen. You could be one of those people whom God might use to release a move in His body, causing the body to move forward to where He wants it to go. That's what we see in history. So in the 1500s, a man named Martin Luther, he was a Roman Catholic priest, a theologian himself. And uh, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther walked up to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed his 95 Thesis. These are the 95 things wrong with the Roman Catholic Church. Very daring move. He being a Roman Catholic priest. And he was a man who stood up and said, We are justified by faith. The Bible says, The just shall live by faith. And that's the way you are justified. Not by any of these things that you do, paying money in the church. He was promptly sent out. But that gave birth to the Protestant Reformation or the Protestant movement. The first light of truth restored to the body of Christ. The just will be saved by faith. In the 1600s we begin to see God bringing in the Puritan movement which brought an understanding of the importance of water baptism for believers. Until that time you take your kid, you take a little baby, they sprinkle some water and they say the baby's baptized. But now came the truth being restored to the body of Christ saying, water baptism is for believers, not babies. Some of the key groups and people that we used in this restorative move were the Anabaptists of Switzerland who insisted on baptism for believers only. They also believed in the prophethood of all believers saying every believer is a minister and every believer can move in the supernatural power of God. The Reformation that began in Germany through Martin Luther now spread into France and and in the 1500s. And in the 1600s we we see the emergence of a group of powerful French prophets who began to move in the spirit and they espoused justification by faith. And they said what a baptism is for believers and they began to move with God. We also see this move rising going into England. 
God raised up a man in the 1650s. His name was George Fox, a spiritual leader. And he brought in the move of God in England. And the people who received this ministry experienced the working of God's spirit. And they used to tremble whenever they felt the presence of God. And so they were called the Quakers. So you have Quaker oats. You know where it came from. And you know, that's why some people quake in the church today. It began in the 1650s. The Quaker movement. When they feel the presence of God, they quake. But God was moving at that time. In the 1700s was a holiness movement or a restoration of the understanding that it's not enough to be saved. You also need to be sanctified or live a holy life. You need to have corresponding works to your faith. And that, was, that understanding was restored to the body of Christ in the 1700s. Some of the prominent groups and movements that took place. And I'm just giving you a few. Of course, God was doing many things around the world. But here, just picking up a few things. There was Moravian re- revival during the 1700s. The leader that God used was a man named Count Zinzendorf. And it's an amazing story of the Moravian group. They're just a small group of people, believers, who, who are being led by this man, Count Zinzendorf. And the Spirit of God began to move. And here's one of the most amazing testimonies. 24 people got together and they said, we are going to pray 24-7. We're going to come in shifts, we're going to pray 24-7. And the group increased to about 77 people. And they prayed 24-7. You know for how long? For 100 years. For 100 years. This group, a community of believers... Prayed non-stop. And they gave birth to one of the most powerful missionary movements the church has ever seen. Because out of this Moravian group, missionaries were sent to North America, South America, Africa, across the world. They did more in 100 years than the church had ever done prior to that. It was backed by 24-7 prayer. We also see the Methodist revival. Me, part of that. But God raised up a man named John Wesley in England during this time. And of course, he was held by Charles Wesley, another man named John Fletcher. And they preached, emphasized, sanctification by faith. They also had the experience of the Spirit, supernatural experience they couldn't explain. when the Spirit of God moved among them. And the Methodist movement was born during this time. When over in America, from 1726 to 1750, was the first great and great awakening happening in America. God used two men powerfully, names that you and I know, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, who saw a mighty move of God throughout America, signs and wonders taking place, was called the first great awakening happening during the 1700s. When you move into the 1800s, we see the divine healing movement being, or the understanding of divine healing being restored to the body of Christ. Uh, during that time, uh, we had the second great awakening happen in America, 1800s to 1840s, where we, God raised up powerful ministers across the Presbyterian, Baptist, and Methodist churches. Men like Charles Finney, Deal Moody, A.J. Dor- Jordan, Gordon, and R.A. Torrey are among the names of men who were used powerfully in the Second Great Awakening. But during that time, especially towards the latter part of the 1800s and coming into the 1900s, God restored the understanding of the divine healing. That God not only saves, He not only sanctifies, He not only empowers by the Spirit, but He also heals the body. And God raised up people like Maria Woodworth Etter and Smith Wigglesworth over in England and John G. Lake who became a great apostle to Africa. God raised up these people to not only to, to minister healing for the physical bodies, for physical illness and sickness. That understanding was restored to the body of Christ. The church had come a long way. Amen. Then in the early 1900s was the latter day outpouring of the Holy Spirit. An interesting story, 1899 crossing into 1900 Christmas Eve. There was a Bible college in Topeka, Kansas. The founder was George Charles Fox Perham. Bible students were with him. So God can use Bible colleges. Amen. And these Bible colleges were, you know, this is midnight service, New Year's Eve service, waiting together. And, and they're seeking God. They're getting, you know, coming into a new sanctuary. Everything is changing, waiting on God. And one of them said, you know, one lady said, can you just pray for me that I will receive the Holy Spirit? Because they were studying the book of Acts. And history records, as they prayed for this girl, and they had no experience with the Holy Spirit at that time in that Bible college. They prayed for this girl, and she began what to speak in what they understood, what they recognized to be perfect Chinese. Baptized in the Spirit, speaking in tongues. And soon that move spread over in to Azusa Street in Los Angeles. A man named William Seymour, a black one-eyed African preacher got used there on Azusa Street. He went in there. He was called to take over a little run-down church. Nothing much happening. 
He went in there. He had been affected by the ministry of Charles Perham. He went in there and a move of God just broke out. 1905, which is known as the Azusa Street Revival. Just continued for days and days. People were just moved by the Spirit. They, people didn't preach sermons as such. But people would come into the church for hours. They would worship God, experience the move of God's Spirit. The news spread and people came from other parts of the world, caught the fire and took it back. And that's how the Pentecostal movement spread all over the world. Out of that movement came the Assemblies of God and other Pentecostal denominations that we have around the world. But in that early part of the 1900s, we see God releasing His Spirit all over the world. 1904 was the Welsh Revival and a man named Evan Roberts was used so powerful over the course of one year. That Welsh Revival spread all the way over to our northeast India, Shillong and those areas. And today that part of India is predominantly Christian because of the fires of the Welsh Revival brought in there. In 1905, over in Maharashtra, in her little children's home, experienced a visitation of the Holy Spirit. People moved by the Spirit of God. God sovereignly moving. And later on, South America also experienced the Holy Spirit. So, from the 1900s, we begin to see the, the Pentecostal movement. And then we see God accelerating His restorative work in the body of Christ. Having brought back these truths to the foundational doctrines or understanding to the body of Christ, then God went on to restore the fivefold offices. In the 1950s and 1960s, we see the restoration of the office of the evangelist to the body of Christ. Healing evangelists began to rise up all over the world. They would gather people in, in big stadiums, men like Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and T.L. Osborne and other names. This began to emerge all over the world. Gather people in big masses and preach the gospel. And many of them pray for the sick and see amazing healings. The restoration of the office of the evangelist. In the 1970s, we saw the restoration of the office of the pastor teacher. People began to study the Hebrew and the Greek and began to expound scripture to congregations. Large Bible-believing churches being established all over the world. Many of those churches are still functioning today. They found their origin in the 1970s. When the office of the pastor and the teacher came to maturity in the body of Christ. In the 1980s, the office of the prophet came to maturity. We began to recognize men who were moving with a prophetic ministry and a prophetic mantle. They could speak the mind of the Lord into circumstances, into situations, reveal the secrets of men hearts and people began to call them as prophets and in the 1990s we saw the restoration of the apostolic office men who carry an apostolic authority and a mantle of governing authority over churches and many churches that are raising up churches across nations opening up doors across nations into countries into regions that otherwise were, were untouched apostles began to emerge in the body of christ amen so what has happened the restoration of all things is almost done so now you understand where the church is. Amen. Where are we now as a body? Ephesians 4.11 is in place. Yes, set in the body. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We are now in Ephesians 4.12. For the equipping of the saints. Amen. So where is the church now? We are now in the 2000s. Ready for a move of God. Which many people call as the saints movement. It's going to be ministry being done by believers. The saints will be equipped for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man which is the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That's where we are in God's timetable. That's where the church is. Amen. So where is all this bringing the church to? It's bringing us to be the church, number one, that Jesus is building. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will give them the keys of, heaven, of the kingdom of heaven. They will be able to bind on earth what is bound in heaven. They will release on earth what is released in heaven. They will usher the kingdom of heaven into earth. Beginning to become that kind of a church. We're beginning to become that kind of a church that will disciple nations. Because he said, go make disciples of all nations. Amen. We are moving in to becoming the kind of people Jesus wanted. And we are becoming a people. A bride for the Christ. That will be without spot and blemish. That's where we are headed. Amen. What I want to do right now before we close. Is bring our attention. To seven very important moves. That are taking place in the church today. I want to bring our attention to this. And I want to challenge us. That we need to welcome. We need to be a part of these seven very important moves of God. In the body of Christ today. 
We don't want to be standing in history, God going on miles ahead of us, do we? We want to be with God on the front lines where the Spirit of God is moving. Amen? We don't want to be relics of a past visitation of God. We want to be with God. Amen? Now God is doing a whole lot in the body, in the church, around the world. But here are seven very important things that I want us to take note of that's happening in the body of Christ right now. Number one, there is the release of the prophetic. The prophetic office was restored in its full capacity in the 1980s. Today, that prophetic ministry is being released to the body of Christ. And that ministry is invading every sphere of the life of the church. Where believers are learning to hear what the Spirit of God is saying now. They are founded on the written scriptures, but their ears are in tune to what the Spirit is saying. There is the release of the prophetic into every sphere, into the area of worship. So we not only sing songs that are projected on the screens, but we're also able, like David, to say, I'm a psalmist, and the Spirit of God moves on me, and I'll bring forth a song. People are moving in prophetic worship, singing a new song to the Lord. What happens when you sing the high praises of God? Psalm 149 says that when you sing the high praises of God, you'll be able to bind the the enemies in chains. Put them in fetters of iron. So this prophetic worship is so important if we are going to experience victory in the realm of the Spirit. The prophetic is moving into every area of the life of the church. Believers are being moving, beginning to move in the prophetic in their workplaces, in, in their schools, in the colleges, learning to hear from what the Spirit of God is saying in the now and moving into it. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And God's sheep are beginning. He didn't say the shepherds. He said, sheep. And God's sheep is beginning to learn how to hear the voice of God. They're becoming a prophetic people. The second great move that we are seeing in the body of Christ is the rising up of true apostles, true apostolic ministry, and apostolic churches. Churches that are not focused on themselves, but churches that are saying, how can we invade our world and see the kingdom of God come in? That's apostolic church. It's like the church of Antioch that Within two years, there were leaders raised up among them. And the Holy Spirit could say, I want you to release your two big best leaders, Saul and Barnabas, and send them out, out there to invade and expand the kingdom of God in regions beyond. They didn't hold on to the leaders and say, preach me a new sermon every Sunday. They said, leaders, go expand the kingdom. Be apostolic. Be pioneers. Invade new territory for the kingdom of God. And the body of Christ is becoming apostolic. You say, what do you mean? Believers are rising up and saying, how can I bring the kingdom of God into my school, into my college, into my workplace, where they are not touched by the gospel? Amen. God is raising up apostles and apostolic churches around the world. Number three, we are seeing that the supernatural is being released through every believer. Every believer. There was a time when there were great healing evangelists. But God's moved past that. And He's bringing and releasing the supernatural through every believer. Where every child of God goes out there, lays hands on the sick and casts out devils and manifests the glory of God. Jesus said, the glory that I... You have given me, I have given them whom the church, meaning every believer, every believer carries the glory of God. And the Bible says that this beginning of miracles Jesus did to manifest the glory of God. The glory of God is manifested through miracles. The glory of God is within you waiting to be manifested. Number four, churches around the world are embracing 24-7 prayer and worship. We saw the great testimony of the Moravian believers several hundred, hundreds of years ago. But today, around the world, churches, communities of believers are giving themselves for 24-7 prayer and worship. It began in the 1970s when Paul Youngicho, David Youngicho, in, in Korea, took up the, the prayer mountain, created places for people to come in and pray continuously, that the movement just spread. And here's the amazing story of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City on September 19th, 1999. They began a prayer meeting. Which continues till today. 24-7. Worship and prayer. And that's being reproduced all over the world. Can we make that happen here? People have to rearrange. Some of them uh, in Kansas City. They have to sleep during the day. So that they can be night watchmen in prayer. But the Bible talks about that, right? You who stand by night in the house of our God. Amen. They have rearranged their entire lifestyle. 
just to be night watchmen in the house of prayer. That's the kind of dedication, that's the kind of commitment you and I will need if we are going to have 24-7 worship and prayer taking place here. But God needs that. The Moravians believers are a great testimony. What will be the result if we give ourselves to 24-7 prayer? Number five, we are seeing the fulfilling of the seven mountain assignment and the equipping of believers for the marketplace. In 1975, you see, when God wants to do something, He speaks to leaders. And we must take note when God speaks to leaders. In 1975, God spoke to two of the most prominent leaders in the body of Christ. Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, and Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade. They plan to have lunch together one day, so it's good to have lunch with men of God. They plan to get together for lunch, you know. Just have a meal together, catch up. As Lauren Cunningham was getting ready to go for his lunch meeting with Bill Bright, God spoke to Lauren and he said, you know, when you go meet him, just share that, you know, if believers can affect seven spheres of influence, they will be able to change culture and take nations. And God gave him those seven spheres. And God also spoke to Bill Bright and he said, when you're going to meet Lauren Cunningham for lunch, tell him that I told you, that if believers would take seven mind molders of society, they would be able to transform culture and take nations. So here they are, they're having lunch. I don't know what they're eating. But Lauren Cunningham begins to share his heart. says, you know, Bill, God's been speaking to me and God told me to share this with you, that if believers will arise and take, begin to in effect the seven spheres of society, they can actually transform culture and take disciple nations. And Bill Bright said, God spoke the same thing to me. Just used a different terminology. But God gave them both these seven areas. Arts and entertainment. Everything that has to do with film industry, drama, um, uh, creative expression. Arts and entertainment. Media. All forms of media. Television, print, internet, advertising. Media. Business. All forms of expression of business. Education. Schools, colleges, training institutes, professional training. Government, it's politics, family, and religion. God said, if my people will begin to penetrate these seven spheres of society. People now refer to them as seven mountains or seven mind molders. You can use any terminology, but we understand what, what we're talking about. If my people will begin to penetrate and take their places in these seven spheres of society and begin to be salt and light there, they will transform culture. And take nations. God spoke that in 1975. You know, sometimes the church is very slow. It took 25 years for the church to understand that message. And only in the early 2000s, we are beginning to see ministries dedicated to motivating and equipping the church. Giving them assignments and strategies on how to possess and conquer the seven mountains. Amen. You and I as believers must understand it's a God-given assignment for the body of Christ. If we are going to fulfill the great commission of discipling all nations. Amen. Another two other important things that are happening is that believers are responding to the problems of society. Now this is not something new. The church has always been doing it. Even in the great missions movements that we have seen, missionaries used to go in. They used to address the ills of society established mission schools and mission hospitals and that was believers the church responding to the needs of society but what we are seeing today in an unprecedented measure all across the world is a church saying it's not enough for us to congregate within buildings we must be the answer for the ills of the society in which we find ourselves in and so the church is beginning to do things about it amen feed the hungry take care rescue the street children do something for the oppressed. Stand up against the ills of society. Give them a God-given solution. Make a way. All over the world, the body of Christ is beginning to do that. And lastly, we're seeing that the church is changing in, what, in its form, its expression, its ministry. It's not the crystal cathedral with a cross on top that's the church. Today the church looks very different. And what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. The form of expression and ministry is changing without compromising the truth of God. Amen? Seven important movements that you and I must be part of in the body of Christ today. Now, as with every movement, there is danger. There is danger. Now, people are afraid of new movements. 
Because wrong things can happen. You know, in the early church, wrong things happened. When there was a new move of God to cause the church to go and reach the Gentiles, who was the first man God used to reach the Gentiles? Before him, Peter. Peter was the first person. He had this vision of this, you know, cloth coming, God said, arise and eat. And he said, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God sends him to Cornelius. So God used Peter to release a new move of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Meaning this gospel is for the Gentiles. What happens to Peter? He comes back in Acts 11. All the other apostles contend with him. You are an error, brother. You've gone astray. They contend with him. And Peter says, wait a minute. Give me time to explain. I saw this vision of this basket coming down. And I saw what God did when I went into the house of Cornelius. The same Holy Spirit that came upon you and me came on them. This is God. But Peter faced opposition from the rest of the apostles. So there will always be hindrances or opposition when we want to move into the new thing that God is doing. But that should not deter us. Now interestingly, error also crept into the church at that very same time. Because when the gospel was preached to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles began to embrace the gospel of Christ, error kept, crept in. Some people went and taught the Gentiles that you must follow Jewish customs if you are to be truly saved. And that was error. So will error come along with any new move of God? It happened in the New Testament church. So then in Acts 15, the apostles and elders gather together and say, what do we do? Should Gentiles follow Jewish customs when they become believers? And the apostle decided, we will not put any burden on them. Let them be what they are, except that they must stay away from idols. That's the only thing. So they corrected the error. The point I want to make is this. That with every move of God, there will be error. There will be opposition. But you cannot stay away from the move of God because God is causing His church to march on. The fear of error is the greatest threat the fear of a deception is deception itself that keeps people from moving where God wants to go. We need to correct the error. With every of these seven areas that I just spoke of, there is the potential for error. In the prophetic, the danger is that believers will want to listen to the prophecies more than the word of God. With the apostolic, there is a the danger of apostles abusing their authority. With 24-7 prayer, there is the danger of believers being clustered in prayer rooms and not going out to win the world. With signs and wonders, there is the possibility of danger of believers not knowing when to move in natural and when to move in the supernatural. Because you also need to live in a natural body. So every one of these seven moves of God, there is the potential for danger, but the fear of danger should not keep us from moving in. Amen. As a church, I want us to see be on the front lines of what God is doing in the body of Christ. How is it going to happen? Two things. One, Jesus said in Matthew 9, 17, you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. New wine must be contained in new wineskins. You and I are the wineskin. Are we willing to become new wineskins? Or are we going to hold on to our old ways of how church was done? That's the way church is supposed to be. That's the way it always was done for 200 years. Wonderful, it was done for 200 years, but God is moving on. There are winds of the Spirit blowing through the church. And we need to set our sails to the wind of the Spirit and go where the Spirit of God is going. We must present ourselves as new wineskins. Be willing to change our preconceived ideas and notions about church. Go with the new thing God is doing. Amen? And secondly, there must be equipping. God's people need to be equipped in all of these areas. And that's why God has the fivefold offices in place. One of the first things we're doing is in March 2021, we're, we're going to do a week in school of prophetic ministry. Chose the weekend so that people can participate. If you chose during the week, you have to take time off from work. So we chose a Saturday and a Sunday. We're limiting it to 60 people. So next Sunday you can register. The first 60 people who register can come for the first weekend school of prophetic ministry. Where we can equip, activate, turn people on in the prophetic. Amen. If that one goes well, then we will continue to do that. And equip people in all these areas. In all these areas so that we as a church can be equipped to be Jesus wants us to be. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Are you ready to go where God is taking the church? Are you ready to go over the wind of the Spirit? Set your sails. Be a part. Be a history maker. Be a part of this onward moving church. Not be a spectator and be left behind. But be on the front lines. It's going to be messy. It's dirty. The front lines are always messy. Are always dirty. But that's where 
the kingdom advances. Amen. Will you be willing to stand on the front lines and go where God wants us to go? Will you be ready? I want us to take a few moments just to stand before God. You know, in the Methodist church, we always close with a hymn. And it's really powerful. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to sing an old hymn, but it's very powerful, very meaningful words. I want you to sing it as your confession of faith, as your testimony to the Lord, as we join our hearts together and sing this hymn. I want you to sing it meaningfully and say, God, I will be a part of where you're taking the church, where you want us to go. Oh, yeah, God. Lord, we just stand before you this morning. We say, God, we will be that mighty army. We will follow the example of those who have gone ahead of us. That they risked their lives, they gave their all to see the church arise and be what you want it to be. So here we stand today, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, saying yes and amen to the call, saying a yes and amen to be the church you want us to be in this day, in this hour, in our city, and in this nation. That this city and this nation will know. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Give us the grace we need, the willingness to pursue, the ability to give, the readiness to sacrifice, the grace, Lord, to flow together as one united body with one voice into the things you're taking us. We welcome your Holy Spirit. Release the mighty move of your presence. Release the prophetic. Release the apostolic. Raise up intercessors and prayer warriors. Raise up people who will say, we will be part of this 24-7 prayer and worship. Raise up people here, God, who will be movers and shakers in each of these seven spheres of influence in our city and in our nation, God. At all levels, people will be at the top. People will be in the middle. And people will be at the grassroots. Bringing out change and transformation in arts and entertainment and media, in education and government, in every sphere, God. Raise up people from this body. We'll make a difference. Lord's living, all things have been restored for a church that is not weak, but a church that's strong. Come into full stature without spot or wrinkle. So we say, Come, Lord Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord bless you in everything you do. May the fire of His Spirit burn in your heart. May your eyes be open to see what's you to see. May your ears be open to hear what the Spirit is saying. May your hearts be willing to do and go where He wants us to go. In Jesus' name. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.